You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for early uh, June 2013. We've got E3 bearing down on us. I couldn't care less. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Rise of Nations. And I am Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Schizoid. I'm Jamie Fristrom, and my game of the week is not Bejeweled. Wow, whose is? <laughs> uh, Jamie Fristrom, you're kind of famous, I would say. Uh, you, let me, I want to list five games, and you tell me which ones you have not worked on, okay? Okay. All right. Tony Hawk, uh, Spider-Man 2, um, let's see, Sacrifice, and aha, I knew I would get one wrong, uh, actually I am completely forget. oh, 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 Die by the Sword, hmm, and Deus Ex, and, eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I certainly knew about you from Spider-Man 2, but holy cats, you worked on Die by the Sword? Oh, you didn't know that? Well, I did looking you up, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I Die by the Sword, I just... Die by the Sword, I have to say, I just know of that as like, wow, that's back before Treyarch was the Treyarch we, they eventually became. I mean, the kinds of things you guys, Treyarch, eventually worked on. Well, actually, uh, I quit Treyarch before the Treyarch that it is now, I mean... Treyarch became a household word word with Black Ops, and that was that was like after my time. But uh, yeah, yeah. and that's you know, Die by the Sword. Well, here's the thing: when I list those games, like I I think of uh, specifically uh, Spider-Man Two, Die by the Sword, and even the early Tony Hawks. um, It seems like Jamie, if you were to add to your to your uh, sort of roster of games you've worked on, a flight simulator and a guitar hero. You would have uh, basically five of a kind of games they don't make anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was working on a a, a guitar game actually uh, for Microsoft for a little while that got canceled. It was right when they decided to, I guess, stop making that kind of game. You're just determined not to make things easy. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. So uh, you you are working on something now, which has a lot in common, of course, with Spider-Man 2, which anybody who knows the Spider-Man games in any detail realizes there's something special about Spider-Man 2. So why don't you briefly tell us what sets Spider-Man 2 apart from other Spider-Man games? Well, Spider-Man 2 was the first, uh, it was, I'm not sure about 2D, but it was definitely the first 3D Spider-Man game where your webs actually had to attach to something um, in the world. You couldn't just, you, it wasn't just these things that shot up into the sky and attached to clouds or who knows what. Um, it was actually actually a physical, a physical simulation of what web swinging might actually kind of be like. The way I remember it, uh, Jamie, is, and I'll just put it in, I'll phrase it this way, it's a little vulgar, so please make sure your, your children, everyone listening, that there are no children in the room, but the way I, th- I thought of Spider-Man 2, this, this phrase sort of sums up the unique appeal of Spider-Man 2. Here we go. Oh, shit, I have to get across Central Park. Because <laughs> there's no buildings there, of course. You know, like there was this sense of where you go. It mattered a lot where you were in relation to things that your web would anchor on. So Central Park was this great big pit. Like you would have to. It's like, oh, great, I have to go across there, or I can go around. But it definitely created this powerful sense of 
what it meant to swing across, you know, to use a web rather than to just hold the stick in one direction and watch a web swinging animation happen while you just went across the screen. Um, right. Was there any, as you guys were making that, uh, was there any pushback or any sense of, you know, this is going to be complicated for some people, this might be frustrating? Uh, it's definitely a game, and it's very similar to Tony Hawk in this sense, it's definitely a game where you had to learn a skill to play. Uh, did you guys have to push hard to sell that? Um, there was definitely, in the very early days, there was definitely the understanding that we had to prove to upper management that this could work. Um, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, I'd made a couple cool prototypes and I'd showed it to, I'd showed it to Pete and Don, who were the founders of Treyarch, and they were like, uh, yeah, people aren't going to get that. Like, uh, and, and I'm, you know, and, and, I, and I had to negotiate to get more time to work on it. And, and at the end of that time, you know, we had to impress people or, or, uh, or we were doomed, mm-hmm. but uh, but but after after that period where we sort of worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, and then demonstrated it um, to upper management, and it sort of went up the chain, and and uh, Pete, you know, Pete's boss brought in his boss, and his boss uh, brought in his boss, and went all the way up to Ron Dornick. Um, th- th- then it was like, yes, this is awesome, green light. Um, and then it was a matter of like doing play testing and going like, okay, a lot of people aren't get, uh, still aren't getting it. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Activision, you know, upper management screenlighted it, but we, we bring it into focus testing, and some people are like, oh, I don't want to do the swing. I'm just going to run to the next mission marker. It's <laughs> not very Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's because, I mean, I mean it, it was a skill. It was a hard skill. It, it, took, it took some people, you know, 15, 30 minutes to sort of, you know, get the hang of the swinging, and that's like, that. that's sort of suicide for a video game, right? Back then, the prevailing w- wisdom was you've got about a minute, you know, to hook your to hook your player, and if... If they're not having fun in a minute, you're doomed. Um, the thing is, though, uh, that uh, – and I, I'm sure you don't need me to defend your concept, but you may not be able to learn it in a minute. But I think in a minute you can, you can, you can get a powerful sense of the, the forces at work, just this idea of swinging on a web. Um, it, it seemed like there would be an immediate appeal there of how cool this is. But you realize, okay, it's going to take some work to be able to do it with any sort of fluidity or to, to, to build up any, any consistent traversal ability with it. Um, because in addition to hooking, having to hook on buildings, it wasn't just a matter of where you went, but it was where you hooked. It was how short the arc was. There was, I recall, you would hold down the trigger to, to swing faster. Um, it was immensely interactive in more ways than just there has to be a building you can hook onto. Um, yeah, it was, uh, there was a whole palette of options very now uh once it once it came out uh did you feel vindicated did it do well enough did uh i presume it the the critical response was was hugely positive uh how how, once it came out how did you feel about what you had done with this complicated web swinging thing oh uh, i felt great i mean uh the 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 sales weren't as strong as spider-man one at first um but i think I think after a while, when you look back at the at, you look back at the sales in hindsight, it it uh, it sold just just as well, if not better, than Spider Man One, which is unusual for a movie game because the movie didn't do as well as the first movie, mm-hmm. which is weird because it was better. Um, but uh, but uh, in g- general, in general, movie games their sales are perfectly correlated to the sales of the movie, and Spider Man Two is like this outlier. 
where it's like it sold better than you'd expect, considering how the movie did. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I, I just go ahead, want Nick. to uh, <laughs> Jamie. I just want to uh, jump in and, and warn you that uh, we're probably going to get a lot of comments now from people who are going to disagree with your movie. <laughs> uh, you know, Spider-Man Two being better than the first one. So <laughs> just just thought I'd, I'd point that out. <laughs> Was Spider-Man 2 the one where Tobey Maguire, evil Tobey Maguire, dances? No, that's Spider-Man 3. That's why Spider-Man do, Why do people hate Spider-Man 2, the movie? Because, because they have no heart. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep this straight. Was that the one with Venom? No, that was Doctor No, Marvel. that was... Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I can't, they all run together. Well, that's the funny thing, is I'm not a big comic book guy, so the movies run together for me, uh, but... The games don't. I mean, I vividly recall just how disappointed I was as later Spider-Man games came out that it didn't create this cool sense of, you know, a, a traversal skill. Uh, you know, there was nothing in the ensuing Spider-Man games that was as rewarding or as gratifying as, as Spider-Man 2. So uh, that one definitely stood out for me. Nick, did you play any Spider-Man 2? Yes, loved it. Absolutely loved it. In fact, uh, I I don't know if Jamie wants to hear this, but it I love the traversal system in Spider-Man 2 so much um, that there would be times when things would happen and I would think, ah, but I'm right in the middle of this. Like, Who cares I, about I crime? Go, I, I want to do stuff. Ah, oh, come on. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've heard that a lot, and that's sort of the way I play it, too. It's like, oh, save my baby. Eh, pass. You know, it's like, <laughs> That guy's just getting mugged. They're not going to murder him. What a big deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just got snapped onto this gargoyle, and I'm swinging around. Get out of here. Yeah. I lost uh, my so, balloon. I don't care. Oh, my God, the balloons. That's right. Uh, so, uh, Jamie, before we uh, talk a bit more about traversal in other games, uh, because I think there have been some games that have taken to heart what we might call the lesson of Spider-Man 2, where complicated interesting traversal can be an asset rather than something to just trip people up. But before we t- uh, talk a bit more about games at large, uh, you are doing a very exciting follow-up to the work you did in Spider-Man 2. Uh, it's called Energy Hook. Uh, you have a Kickstarter going. I believe uh, it's a number of days left on the Kickstarter, correct? Yep, ends, ends this Sunday. Okay, so we're recording on a Wednesday. I believe it's June 5th. So uh, you've got a few more days to go over there and check it out. However... Uh, you probably set the record for meeting your Kickstarter goal faster than any other Kickstarter, <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh, what is going on there, Jamie? Yeah, in fact, I was at 3,000 after just a couple <laughs> seconds um, because my friend jumped in right away with a huge, with a huge uh, contribution. So, like, so up to 3,000% of your goal in, in a matter of seconds. That's amazing. And, and now how did you pull that off? Well, obviously, by having a one dollar uh, a one dollar goal, um, and, uh, <laughs> which I got, a, I was kind of surpri- I got a surprisingly amount of amount of flack for that. I thought, like, I, I, who would give you flack? What, what's the what's the objection to that? I guess, uh, well, some people just think that's not what Kickstarter's for. Um, like, if you if you want to do uh, if you want to if you want to have quote flexible funding, you should use Indiegogo, which builds it into the system. I guess. Um, uh, 
uh, and then other people I think thought that I was just gonna I was gonna run away with the money. Like if I had only raised five thousand dollars instead of finishing the game, I was just gonna. I don't know, vanish to Peru ah, or something. Um, because you yeah. are going to, as long as you meet the goal, you get the money, right? So, yeah. And of course, you are some uh, Johnny Come Lately. No one's heard of you or your games before, so why would they trust you with their. <laughs> I haven't worked on anything. Why, why would anybody trust that you would actually finish this? Yeah. Uh, so, you, so you put up a dollar. You've easily, of course, made the goal, and then some. Uh, you've hit a, a, a great number of stretch goals. Uh, tell us where Energy Hook currently is uh, in terms of. Well, you know what? Describe Energy Hook. What is it going to be at this point, given the amount of money you've made on Kickstarter? Okay, so uh, Energy Hook is a game uh, about swinging and running on walls, and it has a lot of that Spider-Man 2 flavor. Um, but uh, but uh, the the sort of macro game, it, uh, your goal, what your goals are, uh, uh, is is more inspired by games like Tony Hawk and SSX, where the goal is not to be fast or direct. The goal is to be stylish and cool. Um, so, so when you, when you, when you do clean swings, when you run on walls, when you do loops and flips and spins, uh, the game registers those tricks and you build combos up for them and you also get speed boost that you can use to win the races. Uh, So it's got more of a kind of a sports conceit than a superhero crime fighting conceit. Yeah, totally. It, it, It is, energy hook is sort of an extreme sport of the future where people use gravity gauntlets to, um. To, 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 to swing gravity beams, to swing from building to building because they're crazy, um, and maybe because the medical science of the future is really good, and so if they eat it, they can get repaired. <laughs> and I'm guessing that the, the energy gauntlet has to anchor to a physical point in the world. Yes, it does. Awesome. Uh, I'm also guessing that uh, there are more to the mechanics than that. I think in Spider-Man 2, there was that accelerate button. Uh, tell me how you finesse moving around in energy hook. Yeah, you. Uh, so in Spider-Man, you can co- kind of control yourself in the air, even though physics doesn't have a lot to say about that. Um, so, so Energy Hook makes that literal by giving you a jetpack. Um, oh, because uh, you know, I, I want to say I, I saw that you were doing a jetpack, and I was like, what? I don't, I don't approve of a jetpack. But I guess that that's the scientific explanation for allowing air control. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, I, I now a, like the jetpack. Good. Okay, it's, go a, ahead. it's a limited. It's a limited resource. You can't just fly from point A to point B with it. Uh, you run out of like you've got it charges up and then you do you use up the jump and it and then it has it it, it has a cooldown period and has to recharge. So um, it's a it's a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's, it's an assist basically. It's yes. Kinda... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's uh, an assistant assist. It, it assists your swinging, but the swinging the swinging is still the is still the meat. Uh, you uh, have. Uh, you've recently recruited some talent uh, as the Kickstarter has, has gone along. Uh, tell us who's working with you on this, because you're not just one guy in a basement anymore. Yeah, um, that's right. I'm one guy in my kid's playroom. But also, <laughs> um, uh, Brian Brian Luzietti, uh, a, a guy who has done music and audio for games for ages, um, a lot of interplay games, including like Descent and Die by the Sword, uh, is uh, has joined on and is and is. Uh, uh, redoing all my crap audio and uh, composing brand new music for the game, and also um, James Zachary, the guy who did most of the animation for Spider-Man Two, he will be joining us uh, for a bit in September to redo all of our animations and give them and bring them some of some of his magic. He is uh, he is possibly the best animator I've ever worked with. I'm really excited to really excited to have him helping out. 
that's got to be a huge relief too, because so much of of what's selling the illusion of this movement is the animation of the character you're looking at. Right, and you can even you can you can even see just watching the YouTube videos right now. The animation looks stiff and sort of not done, and it'll be it'll be really nice to have that have that have that uh, fluid and nice. Now, you and Nick were, were talking a little bit before we recorded, uh, looking at the the video currently, at the, the footage from the game that's currently up on the Kickstarter campaign. I was thinking, oh, it's kind of cel-shaded, like Crackdown. Uh, but you and Nick definitely uh, evoked a different game, which inspired you. Uh, what, what's a more relevant inspiration than Crackdown for the look of the visuals? Oh, uh, we were talking about uh, Jet Set Radio. Yeah, I feel like a total tool for thinking Crackdown instead of because <laughs> it has that same kind of like vaguely I don't know if I want to say Japanese, but it you know the cel shaded look and there is something kind of I guess exotic about the visuals, but yeah, it definitely has this great jet set radio vibe to to it. I, I presume that's intentional. Um, it, it is a big influence, and I, and, and really, uh, I just I just like cel shading. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not just not just Jet Set Radio, but but other cel shaded games, and 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 I like I like an abstract minimalist look, um, and uh, and so did the. It, I was working with an artist near the beginning of the project who uh, who uh, has such a sweet deal at ArenaNet that he decided he could not he would he would not be able to sort of come on and help me full time, but he can still although he can still pitch in here and there part time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was really into uh, the the uh, the cel shaded uh, cartoon. Uh, Jet Set Radio look as well, and also he was really into an anime called Air Gear, which uh, which is where where our game's colors uh, come from, uh, color choices mostly. Tell me about the places where we will be uh, using our gravity gauntlet. So I, I've noticed that the big one that you show off is kind of a flooded city at this point. Yeah, so um, there's a there's a there's a flooded there's a flooded city there is a city that's sort of shrouded in mist sort of superman 64 like not that i should maybe mention that game in the same sentence as mine but but uh but but, but yeah if you sort of fall into the mist you're you're doomed and then and then there's there's sort of a there's sort of this weird futuristic island which doesn't really fit with the rest of the game's look but um so so what i'm imagining is it's kind of like it's actually a movie set that uh that's been abandoned and, and and energy hook athletes are now using that movie set for fun to do their tricks to, to do their tricks to do their tricks in, and that's why it's, there's this uh-huh. weird sort of incongruous science fiction setting there. There's also a floating uh, gravity ship construction yard slash dock thing um, at uh, at night, and that's that's a pretty good training level. That's the first the first level you encounter in the game. It's sort of a small area with lots of cranes to swing from, um, and it's got and most levels don't have floors, but that level has a floor uh, that, that that so so you can you can you can you don't have you don't get that frustration of falling falling between the buildings over and over again. Now, what's the overall structure of the game? Uh, is it unlockable levels? Am I upgrading a character? Uh, is there any sort of skill system uh, described yes, for me? The, yes. Yes. No. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot like it's a lot like Tony Hawk Four. Um, uh, it's not it's not one big level. It's it's but 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 the levels are like little sandboxes. Like uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember Tony Hawk Four, but you, but unlike the previous Tony Hawks, you you skated around, met people, and they gave you cha- gave you challenges to overcome. Um, here you skate around 
find challenge markers, uh, and, and then and then doing those challenges unlocks more challenges, unlocks new gear, unlocks new levels. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and so, what, it, so the Kickstarter, of course, ends this Sunday. Uh, what is the current projected ETA in terms of when you think folks would actually be able to play it? Um, they can get in on the alpha. Mm-hmm. At the en- at the end of this month, I've promised to put the alpha in people's hands um, before this month is out. Um, the actual 1.0 version that'll that'll be sometime next year, probably, probably early next year. And uh, what's uh, what will the alpha consist of? Do you know yet? Uh, so the alpha will consist of basically everything I got right now, um, which is uh, the, the five current levels I mentioned to you. No, I won't have time to get another level in by then. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, it's a, but but with some but 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 with a lot of polish fixes, Brian's new audio, maybe a maybe a rough draft of of a music track um, by him if he if he feels confident in showing it off to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and uh, and uh, a, responding responding, I've, I've gotten a bunch of feedback already in responding to some of that feedback. Now, uh, I want to ask you finally uh, about the name. I imagine you must have had a long list of names. Uh, what were some of the rejected names for Energy Hook? I totally would have ta- called it Gravity Hook if Adam, Adam Saltzman hadn't already made a game called that. Oh, there's a game called Gravity Hook? What is that? Uh, it's uh, so, so the guy did Cannibal. He made a little Flash game called Gravity Hook, which is actually pretty fun. It's 2D. Um, uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah... It has the best name, man. <laughs> what, what other uh, what other things got scrapped? Ah, gosh, I don't remember. Where, was um, it? Did you ever consider calling it Energy Hooker? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's and that's and you know what that 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 totally totally uh, it's like what do I call these athletes? The I know. My mind is, so you're this Energy Hooker, and I'm like, no, uh, what do I call them? I don't know. They're Energy hook enthusiasts. I uh, okay. I um, did notice when you said energy hook athlete, I could totally tell you were kind of <laughs> skating around, like trying to delicately edge around the idea of energy hooker. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, now let's talk about a bit about sort of traversal in in general. Uh, so this this is born, of course, of the great stuff you did with Spider-Man Two, and there's obviously a demand for that kind of thing because a lot of games are reluctant to make traversal in an open world skill. Uh, for you, it's it's kind of the entirety of the game with Energy Hook, uh, and it was a huge part of Spider-Man 2. Um, what comes to mind for you guys when you think of open world games where they did traversal right? Um, the first thing I think of is uh, Mario 64. What? That guy just walked around and jumped. <laughs> You're going to have to explain your, yourself, Jamie. <laughs> You're, you're, getting, was, you're earning a lot of retro cred, though, I'm, I, I must say. It was fun to just move around in that game. Um, I, there I will is, say, you know... Well, go ahead. Uh, well, the, the, yeah, there, I will say, maybe... And, and there, there is a skill component to it, too. The, the backflips, the the, the... the... The slides, the... Well, there's definitely... They, there's something... I want to say iconic about the way that Mario controlled, and it wasn't complete. You know, there was inertia and the the way that his jumps could be modified, and 
it, it was definitely an early example of, you know, it's not just a one-to-one correlation with where you push the D-pad and where the guy goes. Uh, there was definitely this sense of anticipating how he's going to move and some kind of physics in the world. Uh, so, yeah, that's actually a good answer that I never would have thought of. Uh, and certainly like speedruns, for instance. Speedruns are exploiting what Mario can do as a skill, like exploiting his, his control and the traversal gimmick as a skill to see how fast you can get to the other side. Um, that's a good one. I'll accept that. Nick, do you accept that answer? Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, anything else come to mind for you guys? I always liked, uh, a favorite of mine was uh, Just Cause 2 for how... You know, Just Cause 2, great big open world game, beautiful engine. It certainly had airplanes and cars and helicopters and all that stuff. That's a part of traversal is get in a vehicle and go someplace. But one of the, the brilliant touches in Just Cause 2, uh, and this is actually from the first Just Cause, but I feel they got it so right in Just Cause 2, was your character has basically a magic grappling hook and an infinite parachute. So the combination of pulling yourself to a point and then being able to deploy the parachute to float, uh, these were two very different tools, and the way they interacted with each other and with the world created a, a, as unique a sense of traversal as Spider-Man 2 did, uh, in my opinion. I still haven't played it. I, I, I need to play that game so badly, but, uh, but yeah, I just haven't. Even I just... just yeah, even like it's great for just running around and blowing stuff up, but as far as what Avalanche Studios did with giving you options for get from getting to point A to point B, it had some of that same uh, addictive quality as Spider-Man 2 in that you're just grapple hooking and parachuting around and you would get a mission and you would be like, I couldn't care less about that, that mission. <laughs> Enjoy doing this stuff. Uh, Nick, what's an example for you of a, of a game that got traversal right? Uh, well, I did really like uh, Crackdown. I uh, I don't think the traversal system was all that complicated. Obviously, it was just a, you know, it was basically just one or two buttons uh, on the controller. But I I love the you know the carrot on the stick of the orbs that they would hide everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked the climbing mechanism that they had once you, you know, once you started really getting your character up there and turning him into some super powered you know, badass, he, I, I like the way he would hang on ledges and then you could get him to bounce off buildings and, you know, go higher. Um, crackdown, uh, crackdown reminds me there, there was that, that kind of parkour approach to traversal, which we also see like in, in, uh, Assassin's Creed and whatnot. Uh, it seemed like early on those games were, were about, working your way up a building by sussing out, okay, am I going to go over to this ledge or that ledge? And there was this sense of looking at the the wall and figuring out the best way to go up it. And at some point, um, and it's similar to what happened with the Spider-Man games where you just like web swing by sticking the web on midair, but at some point with these kind of parkour games, it seemed like you just push the stick forward and your dude shoots up the wall. Uh, yeah. And and that's fair. Like that's that's a fair enough approach. That can still be exciting. But what I feel Crackdown did to really sell that is there was this great sense of physics, like with Mario moving. You got this sense for the guy's weight and how he could jump. Um, there was this great sense of interactivity as he moved around. Also, the animation was crucial in, in Crackdown. You know the way you would land after jumping. Um, but what sold it for me in Crackdown. Uh, was you mentioned those orbs, was that it was an upgradable thing. You know, you mentioned getting more badass. At first, you can jump so high and you can go so fast up walls, but eventually, as you upgrade that traversal skill, 
you know, uh, buildings that were kind of a chore to climb up. You could just pretty much run up and you could do crazy jumps. It got better and better and better as the game went on. So while you didn't necessarily have to create this skill as a player, it was built into the character progression. Uh, I really liked how Crackdown did that. It's yeah, not it, so was, much uh, it, it was almost uh, it was almost um, like a Metroidvania thing. You would you would yes. unlock better abilities, and then you know suddenly that giant tower in the middle of the city was you know not this you know uh, this huge obstacle. You could just shoot right up it, and then you were up at the top. And that that to me is is part of is, is what what makes traversal and open world games so appealing. I vividly recall as a kid. I'm going to date myself here, but I remember as a kid playing uh, uh, Battlezone, which was a vector graphics. Uh, do you call that vector graphics? Just the lines of, uh, you know, as a tank, and you put your head up into a kind of a periscope thing, and you're looking in at this 3D world, and you're moving these two joysticks, and you're shooting other vector graphic tanks. Um, and one of the things that they they had in, in the the terrain was way off in the distance. There was a volcano, and there were mountains. And my, as a as a kid, I sort of naturally thought, I want to go over there. You know, I want to see what's up in those mountains. I want to I want to drive in that volcano. And a good traversal game like Crackdown, you see that tower early on in the game, and you're like, I want to go up there. I want to stand up there and look at the city. And it's all about letting you eventually get there. You know, showing you a place you want to go, and hey. You can go there, and uh, you know that's part of the game. It's getting to that point. Um. That's uh, that's actually one of the uh, well-known urban legends of uh, Battlezone is that you could drive the tank into the volcano somehow <laughs> and unlock some kind of secret lava level. <laughs> so cool because Lord knows I tried. <laughs> uh, Radical Entertainment did a really good job with their first uh, Hulk game. Uh, in that the Hulk is so powerful that, you know what, if he runs into a building, he's just going to run up the side of it. And the way that he jumps, and again, this is animation, he would basically use his strength to fling himself from a ledge. And just, you know, his arms are pinwheeling, and he's just flying through the air, a victim of his own strength. Uh, it, it felt just wild and out of control and powerful. Uh, I really liked the way that that Radical let the Hulk just run roughshod over the, the city. Um, but from there, they did the prototype games, which which were good in other ways, but I think lost a little bit of the magic of that, that traversal uh, gameplay. Um, I, I don't remember if it, you still left that sort of trail of destruction in prototype that you left in, in Hulk. You definitely did, and, and Prototype was much more about like upgrading your combat powers and the icky goo powers and stuff. It it was less of a traversal-oriented game, and you could, I think you could soar in that. Like you could unlock. They still did some traversal gimmicks, but it wasn't as integral like to the character as it was with, with Hulk. Uh, I think. Uh, what about has has either of you played Gravity Crush on the PS Vita? Only for a, only for a couple minutes. Because those, I, I was playing it recently. I was on a, I was traveling and had a long plane trip, and uh, you know, just was finally went back to Gravity Crush, which I hadn't played in a long time. And Gravity Crush reminded me why I was one one of the reasons that I was not that enthusiastic about Bioshock Infinite, because Gravity Crush is also set in floating cities. Um, Bioshock Infinite was as well. And in Bioshock Infinite, 
the traversal was you could hook onto a rail and basically ride it to another part of the level, and it, it was kind of cool. But, but Gravity Crush is set in the same area of floating cities. You know, there's cities suspended in the sky, and there are huge gaps between them, and there's this kind of machinery under the cities. But the traversal in Gravity Crush, you're a superhero, and at any point you can change the direction of gravity for just your character. So if I'm standing on the street... I can look down that street and say, that's where gravity is going to be. And now, instead of walking down the street, I'm, I'm literally falling down the length of this street, the same way that I would fall down if I'd stepped off the ledge of a skyscraper. Um, and what was beautiful about it is that combination of control and being out of control. You always controlled where gravity was pointing you, but as you were traveling, you were falling. Uh, it was, and, and it was it was like it was like some crazy insane dream, and you could use it to zip around the city and to zip up to the top of a skyscraper to go underneath the city and explore the bottom of it. Um, and it even played into the combat. Uh, so I, I think Gravity Crush is kind of an unsung hero of great traversal in, in video games. Uh, can you guys think of any any game that did it poorly? Um, what do you guys think of uh, the uh, the Superman Returns game where you could fly really fast? And that was kind of cool. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> flying, is, flying is tough because... Why would you ever do anything but fly? I mean, that's uh, yeah. I think that's a problem with Superman in general. Uh, it's just what kind of so he's invulnerable and he flies everywhere. Uh, what's interesting about that? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. That, that, that's from what I was getting at. It's like it feels good for it feels good for several minutes while you're doing it, but then you're like, uh, well, basically all I do is point in that direction and go, and uh, there wasn't that much to it. You know, Jamie, that actually makes me think of DC Universe Online, which is uh, an MMO that, that Sony published, where you make your own superhero, and there were three distinct modes of traversal, and they made them all, I mean, this was a, they did a great job, one of them was flying, one of them was uh, super speed, uh, which is kind of like the Hulk running up buildings, and the other one was a gadget hero like a Batman with a grappling hook. Uh, and I forget what they did to limit flying, but each one of those had its own advantages and disadvantages. I think flying, it might have been difficult to take off if you were in combat or something. But uh, but I loved what DC Universe Online did with Traversal with these three modes. And you picked which one your superhero could do. Um, but the, one of the problems with that was that uh, there wasn't enough. It was great to run around Gotham and uh, what's the other city? Metropolis. Uh, but they eventually put most of the gameplay into these instances where you lost sight of the cool traversal stuff. Um, but they did flying, right? Uh, here's one thing with flying. If you're going to put flying in your game, and maybe this is just uh, for, for a, a small group of us, you have to let me invert my controls. Uh, Lego... Uh, Lego DC Lego Heroes 2 or whatever, the one with Batman. Uh, there was a lot of flying in that, and you could not invert your controls. And so that was me as Superman flying into buildings a lot. That's pretty much how that worked. Uh, <laughs> guys. You're an inverter. Yeah, take I'm one the, of those. Take the hour or two to add that option. Right. To the like... Thank you. Thank you. For, Jamie, from your mouth to, to game developers' ears, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to. Uh, let me ask you uh, this, Jamie, as someone who's worked on this before: uh, Is it 
fair to expect traversal to, to be a skill? Like that was something you had to convince management about. Uh, you know, now the game you're making, the traversal is pretty much the bulk of the gameplay uh, in an open world game these days. Is that just not really something that, that you can do anymore? Uh, can traversal be a skill or is the conventional wisdom and should it be, hey, if the player wants to get somewhere, just let him get there as quick and easy as possible? Uh, I think I think if you're making, uh, you know, I totally get why they took it out of Amazing Spider-Man, and and it's not a skill game anymore, where it's you just hold down the button and go. Um, like uh, you're making a game, it's supposed to spell, sell to millions of people. They've all just you know watched the Spider-Man movie, and they just want to be Spider-Man. They just want to push a button, and be Spider-Man. So you I say, be, oh, go ahead. Sorry, you say be Spider-Man, but to me, that's watch Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, that, that, that's true, but also sm- smacking into the sides of buildings over and over again as you learn how to web swing, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like being Spider-Man either somehow. It's, it's great for my game because, like, you know, you don't, have, you don't come to my game with this preconception that you already are a badass at, at, your, at, your, at your chosen skill. But, uh, um, but, but for, for, for Spider-Man, I, 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 I get it. Um, right. Uh, and, and that's why I'm so glad that I'm not on... I'm not doing AAA anymore. I'm not on a te- I don't have to, you know, a hundred miles to feed on the team, and the game has to sell a zillion units. Uh, um, I can, I can, I can find that smaller niche of people like you guys who appreciate a skill game. Right. And, I guess uh, the, the demands are very different based on how many copies you're trying to sell, who's publishing for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I want to bring up a game that. Uh, I really liked what they did with Traversal, and I saw so many complaints that from people who I feel they didn't understand what was going on here. Uh, so Rockstar has their own approach to, to open-world games. Uh, they're going to do what they're going to do regardless. So one of the things they did in Grand Theft Auto 4, uh, and the Grand Theft Auto games, by the way, that's – that's a, an awesome example of traversal. Traversal in Grand Theft Auto is getting in a car, listening to music, and, and driving across this, this cool open-world city. You know, that's what they've put in there. Um, it's a great concept. It's something that we relate to our day-to-day lives. Everybody spends a lot of time in a car listening to music. Uh, and if you do it well in a game, it works. And it's a huge selling point for the Grand Theft Auto games. But I recall one of the things in Grand Theft Auto 4 that I think was markedly different from the previous ones is the cars all had very different physics. So you could easily get into a crappy car, like a muscle car that fishtailed or some underpowered little uh, economy car, and you could draw incorrect conclusions about car physics in general in the game. Uh, But I really applauded how much personality the different vehicles had in terms of how they handled in Grand Theft Auto 4, even though it led to people saying, I don't, these cars are hard to drive, this game sucks. Um, (laughs) uh, And I hope we'll see more of that in in future Grand Theft Auto. I felt felt the same way about Grand Theft Auto 3, that the the, the cars were either sort of too mushy or the sports cars went sort of too fast and out of control and, and... and the, the two the from Liberty or Liberty City, I remember I remember having the two favorite cars, like the, the 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 taxi cab and the cop car were both sort of just the right amount of car for me, um, like not not too fast, and out of control, and but 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 took a lot of damage and fast enough. 
And, and that's a great gameplay thing. The fact that you cared about two specific cars <laughs> in Grand Theft Auto, that they did their job. If they're making you right. care about a car, yeah, so uh, uh, I, I, I love that. Uh, here's a game where I feel they completely blew Traversal. I loved this game. It had an amazing world. Uh, I would argue it's, it's the best world that, that uh, Rockstar has ever created. And they completely blew it with Traversal. Uh, and that is Red Dead Redemption. Uh, Red Dead Redemption... If you're making a Western, what a great opportunity to cultivate a sense of connection with your horse, to create a sense of geography and distance. Um, but instead, they pretty much let you teleport everywhere whenever you wanted. If you lost your horse, you just clicked on your little horse deed and a new one magically appeared. Uh, you know, anytime you wanted, pretty much, you could just have your horse magically appear. Um, and I feel it robbed the game of a couple of things, namely the sense of geography and the sense of attachment to a horse, which were both key bits of, you know, westerns and and a huge asset for that that, that game is the world. Uh, and that's one of the things that good traversal can do as well, is create a sense of geography, like, oh shit, I have to cross Central Park. You know, the fact that Central <laughs> Park is a markedly different piece of New York in Spider-Man 2, that's geography. I'm aware of Central Park. When I'm going somewhere, I know that it's going to take me longer to get across Central Park. Uh, and there should have been things like that in Red Dead Redemption. Uh, but because you can just teleport pretty much wherever you want to go and you can instantly replace your horse, I feel Rockstar just really whiffed the importance of traversal in, in that game. Um, I, I also say that... Uh the thing with Red Dead Redemption that that annoyed me, um, and I, I don't think I was alone on this, was they kept that weird, you got to keep pressing the button over and over again to make your guy run or the Aha. horse run. Right, right. <laughs> right? See? They, like, they did this thing where they were like, okay, well, there's a little skill component in that when you're on the horse, you, you have to tap the button, you know, like you're hitting the spurs into the side of the horse. And there's stamina management. Like, you can't run it stamina all the way down. Yep. Right. Yeah. You can't get too crazy or the horse will try to buck you or, you know, will, you know, just get mad at you. So that was kind of cool. That idea was cool. Right. But then, you know, there I am running across the land and I'm thinking, okay, well, now my thumb's tired. I just, <laughs> I don't even care. My thumb is just tired. <laughs> so, Nick, here's where I, 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 I see. That, I mean, I get that. I, I've seen that complaint a lot, and I understand it. But uh, what I love about that is it, it's and it's an example of good traversal to my mind. Is that if you just want to run at the normal speed, your guy will run. But if you want to run extra fast, you as a player have to actively create that, and, and it can be a pain in the thumb, quite literally, uh, <laughs> that you have to tap over and all. But but it created this sense of okay, now I'm running frantically versus okay, now I'm just jogging. Uh, and for me, that really came alive in their, their zombie add-on, where there were plenty of times, uh, what was it called, Undead Nightmares, where there were plenty of times you, you need to leave someplace very quickly because there are a lot of zombies chasing you. And rather than hold the stick forward, as a player, there's this frantic sense of press, 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 to get away that that connects me more to the little avatar, to the character. So I completely understand that complaint, but if I was making a game... I would be like like Jamie here fighting for the web swinging uh, in Spider-Man 2 by fighting for that same, you know, active press to run super fast. Uh, <laughs> I like that. So I'm going to go down as a defender on that one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I just have, I haven't played that much of any of the modern games you're mentioning. They're now not even that modern anymore. Like, I haven't played that much GTA 4. I never played Red Dead. You, you guys better name a game pretty soon, pretty quick that I've actually... <laughs> I've actually uh, played, but I look really dated. Do you play any MMOs, Jamie? 
You probably no, should. Not really. Yeah, no. okay, that's a good choice. MMOs are another one where I, th- I really feel they should c- cultivate a sense of geography, but they don't because no player in an MMO wants to walk someplace. They just want to get someplace and fight the mobs. And a lot of MMO developers, you know, they, they, they want to be accessible to the highest number of people. So you know what? Just teleport wherever you want to go. Uh, I've, I've been playing recently. Um, when you play an action RPG like Diablo, pretty much at any point, Diablo used to have town portal scrolls, so it was a limited resource if you just wanted to zap back to town. But in Diablo 3 and in most modern action RPGs, at any time you want, you press a button and you teleport back to town. Uh, I've been playing Marvel Heroes, which is an action RPG based on the Marvel Comics license, uh, created by uh, David Brevik, one of the creators of the original Diablo. In that game, there are no town portal scrolls. You have to walk back and forth to the little teleportation waypoints. Uh, and I applaud that decision um, because, you know, you're, you're moving through hostile territory. And again, it creates a, a sense of geography. You know, here, here's the, the, the low town slums. Here's the bamboo forest. If I want to go into the bamboo forest until I find the waypoint, it's going to be a long time to get back to the slums and then get back to Stark Tower. Um, so I, I, you know, in, in MMOs and action RPGs, they undercut that sense of geography by catering to people who just want to go get where they're going quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's nice to see an exception like like Marvel Heroes. Um, uh, well, all right. Well, uh, so for Traversal, I would encourage anyone. I, I really do like Gravity Crush for me is the last great innovation uh, in open world Traversal. So if you've got a PS Vita, um, even though there's some... Yeah, you know, it's it's not a great game for a number of reasons, but it is a great, fantastic, amazing traversal game. So I, w- I would invite anyone uh, to check that out. Um, you guys have to. So speaking of modern games, you guys have to check out Zynef if you haven't. I don't even um, know what you're saying, Zynef. <laughs> Isn't that Zynef, one of the? Zynef, one of the... It, was, it was a student project, um, uh, and it's free. You can just. You can just Google it online and, and go there and download it and play it, and uh, it's um, it's a bit it's uh, uh, gliding on wall gliding along walls and gliding on rails is like a huge part of the game, and when you do it, you speed up, and so it's all about finding these long rails and these long walls to grind along so you can speed up so you can get big air so you can make it across jumps and uh, and it feels really good. It's pretty hard to play. Um, Can you spell the uh, name for us? Z i n e t h. I know one feature right now that uh, is going to really excite Tom. About Zynith? Yeah. What? Twitter integration. Oh, I love to tweet my progress in games. <laughs> now, only, if they can get Facebook integration in there, I'm totally there. Uh, is that sarcasm? Yeah, complete sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know the, the the funny thing is I can't figure I couldn't figure out how to tweet my progress from it I I, I, I even did the Twitter integration it lets me, while I'm playing I can read my Twitter stream on my little handheld my little virtual handheld device in the game but actually posting a high score to Twitter I'm not sure they ever implemented that oh good good for them haha <laughs> see Nick. <laughs> Uh, you mentioning Zynath makes me think, of course, of a, a little student project that uh, – I don't know that you would call this traversal, but certainly a sense of getting from point A to point B was a huge part of it. Uh, a little student game called Narbuncular Drop. Uh, 
which of course later became Portal. Uh, is that is that traversal? Well, I mean, you have to go from one place to another. It, it right. is fun. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm gonna. I, I I hear what you're doing there, Nick. I, you use the F word. Uh, uh, I'll bleep that out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So so imagine like Portal. And one of the things with Portal though is if you were to break that out into a larger open world. Uh, man, I can't imagine how you wouldn't just completely destroy the game world. Uh, like Portal has to be so self-contained with those tricks. Actually, I guess you could do that, couldn't you? I don't know. Uh, but Portal comes to mind as a, as a great recent uh, concept. Um, all right, so uh, there you go. I would encourage folks, if you if you want to see uh, the brilliance of Spider-Man 2 in a latter-day game, uh, go support uh, Energy Hook, which you can find on Kickstarter. It's running uh, through Sunday. Uh, now, uh, Jamie, let's say, because uh, sometimes people don't listen to the podcast right when it comes out, let's say that we've gone past the Kickstarter, it's closed. Uh, where can folks get a copy or at least sign up for or donate money to or whatever uh, Energy Hook if the Kickstarter's over? Um, well, you can go check out what's going on with it at energyhookgame.com, hmm? um, which currently just redirects to the Kickstarter. Um, uh, but I, if you want to get in on the alpha... You, you should do it now. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably open things up again at beta, whatever that means. But that'll be that'll be several months out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I will say just just so you know, Jamie, it looks like can't be certain, but it looks like energyhooker.com might be available <laughs> if you want that domain name. Uh, yeah, I better I better grab it just in case. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk some games of the week. I want to know what you guys have been playing lately, what's working for you or maybe not working for you. Uh, Nick, why don't we start out with you? What would you choose as your game of the week this week? Uh, I have been playing uh, Rising Storm, which is the Red Orchestra 2 uh, standalone, expandalone. I, I'm not sure what they call it, but it's mm-hmm. it's a multiplayer World War II shooter set in the Pacific. Oh, I did. They, they went Pacific. I didn't know that. Good for them, because they were always Eastern Front previously, right? Yes. Yep. Previously, it was always uh, Germans versus uh, Russians. Uh, and so, what? So, Red Orchestra. I, I always know of it. It's it's the super realistic version of uh, Battlefield 1942. Is that a correct uh, assessment? Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that there is a, a lot more of a learning curve. Uh, than in a typical um, military shooter type game. Mm-hmm. Um, Rising Storm uh, moves the action to the Pacific, uh, obviously. Um, at, at this point, there are no vehicles in Rising Storm, so what? it kind of loses. Yeah, it kind of loses that bit. Um, but they've made the sides uh, asymmetrical. So were the they Japan- not asymmetrical before? Is that a new thing, or it's just a different kind of asymmetry? No. Uh, I would say it's it's a lot more pronounced. There, the okay. uh, obviously there were differences between the Germans and the Russians, but for the most part, it was you know one to one as far yeah. as you know the different weapons and the different soldiers. Uh, the Japanese versus the Americans in Rising Storm are actually quite different. Uh, for example, the Americans. Uh, get a flamethrower unit. So you can be a guy with a flamethrower, and it is probably the scariest flamethrower in any <laughs> game that I've seen so far. 
Now, how do you make a flamethrower scary? Because a lot of times you get hit by a flamethrower and you lose control of your character model or whatever, and they run around and pat their body and take damage over time. Uh, what makes it scary in Rising Storm? Uh, in Rising Storm, getting hit, with the flame, <laughs> getting hit with the flamethrower is pretty much uh, instant death. <laughs> Great. How is you, that fair? <laughs> well, the, the Japanese side, uh, they get the ability to do a bonsai charge. So they can they they can group up and just all come screaming running. Uh, they, their speed increases, their damage increases, and they can come running out at the uh, the American troops. Oh, it's like a group um, thing. It's not like one guy uses his like barbarian frenzy power. That's bonsai. Like it's a group thing. What well, you Gotta can be. you can use it by yourself, but it's really ineffective. <laughs> uh, because then you're just the one guy. You're one guy like running into the. <laughs> Into the trench or whatever, uh, and you're just going to get shot. <laughs> you totally but be a uh, like a whole wave of Japanese. Japanese guys, that's scary. Uh, so then, this is multiplayer only, correct? Uh, it is multiplayer only. There are bots um, that you oh. can practice against, um, but uh, obviously, you make no progression because there is a little bit of level type progression and unlocks with weapons and whatnot. Did Red Orchestra do that? Uh, Red Orchestra 2 did that. Okay. Um, uh, and so as Jamie was, was hinting there, it seems like with the bonsai thing, and actually with the, the design in general, I'm guessing, uh, this is heavily dependent on team coordination, right? Uh, very much so. I, uh, obviously the Japanese more so than the Americans, which is kind of where that imbalance is showing up uh, so far in the uh, with the players. Um, it's kind of the consensus right now that it's a little harder to be the Japanese. Uh, and what is the uh, what is the community like? Is it easy to find games? Well, here is kind of where it sort of falls apart. Uh-oh. It is uh, since it's so dependent on multiplayer, um, it, it is a lot more difficult if you are in the North American region of the world to find a game going. Uh, with uh, a group of actual players versus just a bunch of bots on a server. Um, Apparently, on the European side, no problems at all. Or or in America, just play late at night. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so, uh, and is this something that is an add-on? So you you said it was a standalone product. Yeah, it's... it's, So they've got a weird model. If you have Red Orchestra 2, then Rising Storm you can purchase for uh, a huge discount. Um, If you don't have Red Orchestra 2, you can buy Rising Storm, and they will give you Red Orchestra 2's content, except you can only play... Or or no, no, you do get all of the content, I'm sorry, of Red Orchestra 2. Um... If you just stick with Red Orchestra 2 and you don't get Rising Storm, you'll still get all the maps that come with Rising Storm. You can only play as a rifleman, though. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Basically a demo, then. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really easiest to think of it, Rising Storm, as uh, a map pack, really. Okay, right. Uh, So a couple things come to mind. Uh, First of all, isn't it a huge bummer... Even though I know vehicles weren't as prominent in the Pacific Theater, they were still there. Isn't it a huge bummer that 
there are no vehicles in the game. That it's just infantry combat. Yes, I will agree. <laughs> I will agree. And I, if you if you like, you know, go around on the uh, the tripwire forums. Uh, there's a lot of talk about that. Um, there are a lot of players who who do want the vehicles kind of in the Pacific setting, um, but they've said that. Um, at this time, anyway, there are no public plans to add vehicles, okay. but, you know, who knows? Uh, now, here's another question I have. Uh, aesthetically speaking, and I imagine this would affect the gameplay substantially, the Pacific Theater is very different from the European Theater, uh, specifically the Eastern Front, uh, based on the types of places that you're fighting and the foliage and uh, the importance of, like, an ocean on one front. Uh what are the maps like, and how do they look? Uh, the maps in Rising Storm are, uh, I would say, definitely a lot harder to see the enemy in. Um, you have a lot more jungle. Okay. Um, there's a couple maps that are more urban areas, but even those are they're just harder to kind of navigate and see the enemy in them because there's a lot of cl- there's a lot more clutter. Uh, there's a lot more natural colors, whereas you know, Red Orchestra 2, you've basically got a lot of white <laughs> and then a lot of industrial-looking buildings. Uh-huh. And is this a good thing in uh, Rising Storm? Uh, yeah, I, I would actually say it's a good thing. I, I would say it, it is it is good. I, I think part of the gameplay comes from, you know, having to pick out your targets. Uh, it's, it's a little more skill-based, I think, in that regard. Uh, and what are the game modes in, in, Rising, in Red Orchestra and Rising Storm? I'm guessing it's not uh, free for all deathmatch. <laughs> is it just team deathmatch? Are they objective based? So there is. So there's a few modes. So originally, the Red Orchestra games and Red Orchestra Two uh, started with uh, basically this kind of territory takeover uh, uh-huh. sort of mode. Um, over the years, though, they've had to kind of add a team deathmatch uh, mode into the game because. You know, people just sometimes they just want to get in there and just kill. <laughs> right. um, so they have that, and then they have a sort of a you know last man standing kind of countdown type game mode where it's sort of a team deathmatch except there's no respawning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the uh, things that you in, in a game like this, uh, I'm guessing that it's not based on just your kill-death ratio, that you earn experience points by doing various things to support your team? Are they pretty good about that? Uh, yeah, they're actually pretty decent about it. The, the Really, the biggest thing in the game is that you, um, that you, you know, contribute to the objectives, um, and then they very heavily penalize uh, team killing. Good. To, yeah, to the point that you can actually regress. Oh, I love that. Good, awesome. <laughs> uh, and, and come to think of it, actually, Nick, uh, is the last Pacific Theater, like World War II Pacific Theater game that remastered, re-release of Battlefield 1942 that EA put out? Like, is there any competing product where you could play a shooter in the Pacific Theater World War II? I guess there was a Call of Duty recently, wasn't there? Uh, I don't know if there was there was uh, I mean I guess there was the Call of Duty with a couple of Vietnam levels right well I think three or four releases ago it's hard to keep track of them there was a Pacific Theater one and it had like Japanese zombies uh, for the zombie mode 
but before that, I guess it was the, the EA re-release of Battlefield 1942. But I guess yeah. that's one of the big selling points for this, is if you want to play Pacific Theater stuff, you know, if you just watched Thin Red Line and you're like, I want to play that. Uh, there aren't there aren't a lot of recent options, uh, so that's that's a, that's a unique niche for Red Orchestra Rising Storm, I imagine. Um, yeah, I, I guess on both sides of that equation, the Red Orchestra side too as well. There there aren't a lot of shooters where you know your choice is either Russians or Germans. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so your game of the week, uh, Red Orchestra Rising Storm. Uh, did that recently come out? Is that is that a new release from Tripwire? Uh, it did recently come out. It was actually kind of interesting. They had a uh, a beta period that they announced, and then very quickly they they launched the game. And it, I think, it sort of took everyone by surprise, including the beta players. And I think everyone had the impression that it was going to go on for you know a few more weeks or whatever, and it just kind of popped out. Hey, we're launching today! Surprise! Play for real, right? <laughs> That's always nice. I always enjoy that. Good. All right, good. Red Orchestra, uh, uh, Rising Storm, uh, out now. Jamie, what do you have for your pick as Game of the Week? I'm guessing it's not going to be an MMO. That's that's true. Um, so uh, the only thing I can think of, the thing I played last, was oh. is, uh, is, is, this, is this game called Save the Date, an indie, a free indie game called Save the Date. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, sounds I, like, it sounds like calendar software. And I can't tell you... Uh, what it's about without spoiling it for you, so that's going to make this pretty short conversation. But uh, I started playing it, and I thought, oh, this is just a choose-your-own-adventure. And I sort of put it I put it aside, and then a friend of mine said, no, 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 go back, play it. And so I picked it up again, and I played it, and I got, and I, and I played it, uh, I played it, you know, it's choose-your-own-adventure, so you keep on, you know, it keep, you keep on getting to the end of one of the paths, and then you start over, right. and you try another path. And then I started seeing, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And it's really funny. I laughed out loud while I was playing it, and uh, and it's actually really deep, also. Um, uh, so uh, so uh, and it, it you know it, it 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 probably takes less than an hour of your life to to sort of play through the whole thing and get it. So I definitely recommend uh, checking it out. Can you tell us anything about who makes it? Do you know offhand who made it? Uh, the guy who made it is named Chris Cornell. I do not think he is the lead singer of Soundgarden. <laughs> He's another Chris Cornell. I don't actually know that much about him, uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, Paper Dino Games is his is his website. And uh, so can and you? It's, it's, it's it's a it's a game about going on a date. That's why it's called Save the Date because you're trying to make the date go well. But uh, and just in, so in the early more, part, it's so much more than that. Okay, so in the early parts where you thought it was just choose your own adventure, is the idea that like you have dialogue trees and you're selecting things yep. to say? Yep. Okay. Yep. And so then you get to the end of one of these and the date is over and you think, okay, I've seen the game, I could do it a few more times if I want. That's that's your initial takeaway, right? Right. But something happens? Yes. Hmm. Tell us without spoiling it, does it remind you of any other game? There's something that happens. Is there anything that you could say it is similar to Game X? Like, it's just sort of a way to tickle my imagination here. I'm going to say no. No, it's Oh, come on, surely. Jamie, there's got to be something. Come on. Um, if it's entirely unprecedented, that's even better, maybe. <laughs> okay, how about... Let me put it this way, Jamie. Is there, there must like be, a... There must, be, there must be some things that are... Like, my memory is... is... Let me put it this way. This might be easier. Does it... Does it remind you of anything in like a movie or a book or a 
or a comic book or a graphic novel. Uh, or... I could tell you, I could tell you the movie, but that would spoil it. Oh, are you serious? I kind of want to know anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, just play it. Just play it. All right, you know what, if it's one of those things that, you know, it's just an hour or whatever to, to play through it. All right. Uh, I kind of want to know the movie now, though. Don't you, Nick? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess the movie. Tell me if it's one of these movies. Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to guess a few I movies. I can confirm nor deny whether it's that movie. No, no, you don't have to tell me the specific movie. Hold on. I'm going to name five movies. Uh, hold on. Uh, hold on. Most of them are Jonathan Nolan movies. Or Christopher Nolan movies here. Uh, let me try to get some non-Christopher Nolans in here. Um, okay, wait, hold on. Let me get one more. Um, okay, does it remind you of any of these five movies? I'm going to list them, and you just say yes or no after I've said all five of them. Uh, Memento, Cash, Inception, Sixth Sense, or The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> Kind, kind of, but the movie I was thinking of was not in that list. Okay, that's fine. You know what? You've, I'm, I am, I am intrigued. Fair enough. Oh, what if I put Cabin in the Woods on that list? I'm not familiar with that one. With that one. So, uh, Jamie, you need to stop making great games from time to time and watch <laughs> movies. <laughs> I watch, I watch, I watch a lot of movies. Um, uh, Cabin in the Woods is my Netflix queue right now. Um, uh, it's a, it's a riff on horror movies from a guy named Drew Goddard who uh, was one of the creative guys behind Lost uh, and Joss Whedon. Uh, it's a Joss Whedon script. Um, so yeah, if if you like horror movies, Cabin in the Woods is a is a great uh, variation oh, on the theme. Okay, Netflix estimates that I will give this movie five stars. I don't know why they haven't recommended it to me. Did it just come out? Um, it was released, uh, it's about a year old or so. It actually was shot, it, it sat in the, this is always, I think this is a lot of times a good sign. It was filmed and the studio didn't know what in the world to do with it because it, it is unique. Uh, so it sat on the shelf for a long time and it was released maybe a year ago. And, and Jamie, if there's one thing I can tell you about it, it's don't let anybody tell you anything about it. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, yeah, Net Netflix says I will give it all five stars. Netflix never says that about anything. Like, I'm happy to find a a movie that ne see I don't even have to watch it now I already know I love it right exactly you're done yeah you're, you're working you're done. <laughs> good to go you know, make up the movie in your head <laughs> I'm kind of the same way if Netflix says three stars I'm like well you know what okay fair enough uh, that sounds good that's if that's the best you can do for me right now Netflix I'll take it yeah, yeah you sort, sort of uh, yeah, normally I'm in this I've come to the end of Netflix all the movies it's recommending are three stars but uh, so I don't know why this hasn't shown up on my queue yet that's weird well, you're in for a treat. Uh, all right, so save the date. Uh, you, we know uh, surprisingly little about it, and that's all the better. Good, good to know. Where is this? Is a PC game, Jamie? Yeah. Okay. Available on Steam, or I, I feel if I Google it, it would bring me to sort of like calendar management software. Uh, go to go to um, paperdino.com. Is that it? Let me let me find it for you real quick. Uh, because also, if I Google Chris Cornell, I don't know that it would help me find it very much. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, paperdino.com slash games. Right. Great. Um, uh, all right, my game of the week is also a little indie thing. I say a little indie thing because the studio has been working on this for a couple of years. There are some folks from larger AAA. You know, if, if you list the other games that folks at the studio have worked on, you get a lot of big names. 
the developer's called Undead Labs, and they just released a game on Xbox Live Arcade called State of Decay, uh, which is a zombie apocalypse survival game. Um, it advertises... Yeah, waiting for oh, this one. So, so what do you know about it? Uh, like, because it, it, I kind of knew they were doing it. I, I didn't know a lot. I of just, specific. I watched, I watched some gameplay trailers, um, and and I, I, it feels, it feels like interesting stories could emerge from, from just the your interactions with other with other players. Um, like like you like you really will feel like a bunch of people setting up a, setting up a stronghold against a zombie apocalypse. And it's yeah. not something that's, that's my hope. That's me projecting all my hopes onto the game. But uh, but yeah, no, you're, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean that's that's one of the big selling points. And it's not something that uh, games played from this perspective usually do. Because in ways it's very similar to uh, Dead Island, which had this open world sensibility. But you were very much one guy running around. It was almost like an action RPG. Your dude had a skill tree. Everyone else was pretty much fodder. You could play multiplayer with other people. Um, but there was no sense of having uh, of the survival aspect of it. Uh, and if anything, State of Decay is that perspective. You know, you're, it's third person, not first person, but you're definitely down in the world. It plays like an action game a lot um, on a survival strategy game. Uh, it reminds me a lot of an iPad game called uh, Rebuild by a developer named Sarah Northway, uh, which is all about you know managing food and morale and random events, uh, and, and keeping zombie sieges back, and exploration. Um, there's a lot of that in State of Decay, but with you down in it as, as one of the characters. Um, early on, it seems like, okay, this is the character, this is your playable character, you're this guy all the time. Uh, but what I found out is uh, these main characters can definitely die, uh, and that's, I think, where a lot of the dynamic aspect of it is, is there's no one hero, and that's kind of a facet of a zombie apocalypse mythology, is nobody is safe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you watch something, one of the disappointing things about something like Walking Dead is, you know, I know Andrew Lincoln isn't going to die. Uh, Rick no spoilers. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm, only up to like, I'm only up to season three. Well, they, you know, they do a good job sort of playing with that, but you certainly know, okay, here's principal characters, they're they're going to be fine. And they'll when they do subvert that expectation, it's effective. But that's one of the things you know... You know, Andrew Lincoln, he's the main character. He's not going to get killed. You know, that's that's just part of how TV works. TV that isn't right. Game of Thrones. Uh, that's part <laughs> of how that works. Um, so it's nice to see that expressed in a, in a video game. Uh, and I think State of Decay, where it's, even though the world, I'm assuming, is the same every time, it's not procedurally generated terrain or, or anything like that, uh, what's dynamic, I think, are the missions that come up, the fate of the different characters, um, who emerges as a hero. I think that is a huge dynamically emergent part. And Jamie, where you talk about you know these stories coming out of it, that's what it's all about. You know, the right now one of my main guys is the fellow who was the cook, but just because the action hero was tired, the cook is having to run around and do some stuff. And my cook is kind of becoming badass, so it's a waste putting him in the kitchen cooking. Um, and I love that. That's that's a little bit of dramatic tension for me. Hey, you know, he can whip up a feast and I can use some of my food and give everyone a stamina and morale boost. Or, well, he's become one of my better fighters. Maybe he should be out doing missions. Uh, and that's a great little bit of narrative. 
Uh, and it didn't, they didn't set that in there. They didn't script it. It just happened that way based on the, the choices that I was making. Um, there's a lot of cool territory control stuff in there as you explore and as you, uh, uh, not loot or pillage, what would be the word for taking stuff that requisition, uh, the things that you find in houses, you're, you're expanding controlled territory and, very much like the strategy game Rebuild, where you expand and you hunker down and you defend your territory. There's a sense of that in uh, State of Decay. Um, a couple of issues I have with it. Uh, it's really rough tech. Now, I don't mind at all because it gets done what it needs to get done. You know, there's cool lighting effects. You can put a lot of zombies on the screen. I can see exactly what they're getting at with these gory kill animations. Um, and the draw distance can, you know, if, you, if you're the type of person who really needs something to look like Metro 2033, you're going to take issue with this. But if you're the type of person who can tap into what Undead Labs is trying to create, I don't mind in the least, in the least that the tech is a little janky, that the frame rate can hitch, that the draw distance is a little hemmed in. Uh, it reminds me a bit of that game, uh, Deadly Premonition, which was a Japanese developer doing a riff on Twin Peaks, the Pacific Northwest a murder mystery with supernatural elements. Awful tech in that game. It was a horrible <laughs> game engine. That everything looked bad. But you know what? It didn't matter because the designer's imagination came through the gameplay, came through the game design. Uh, and, and that's what State of Decay is doing so beautifully for me. Uh, I couldn't care less about the limitations of the engine. But a weird thing that I didn't discover until Nick made a comment about this. So it came out last night. I sat down and I played it literally something like like five hours straight. I was just digging into it and really liking it. I wrote up a post about something that happened to one of my early characters. Um, and then I read something that Nick mentioned. Nick, why don't you tell me what you discovered happens in State of Decay when you stop playing? So apparently, in State of Decay, the clock continues to run in the game when you are not playing it. So, for example, you go to bed, uh, your survivors continue doing whatever they're doing, and they can die. Furthermore, they will eat my food... Use up my construction materials that I was saving to build a medical laboratory. Uh, their morale will drop. They will get in fights. Uh, and I was not there. I did not, I did not have the option to, to do anything about this. Uh, hmm. When I started the game, it, it, there's a, a kind of a quest log that shows you, you know, here are the missions. Here are your little updates about how much food is, was eaten today and what you found on a supply run. And it's arranged under a date. And I saw, oh, they're using the real date. That's kind of cute. You know, it, it said 6, 4, 20, uh, uh, 12, 13, or uh, what is it? 2013. What year is this? Uh, it had the actual date up there. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. The game starts when I started. And it didn't occur to me until I read what Nick wrote. Oh, that's why they're doing that is because the game is going to freaking run in real time. So when I went back today, sure enough, they used up the construction materials that I was saving because there's a daily use of construction materials as well as things like medicine and fuel um 
uh, one of my guys uh, is mad now about something that I wasn't there to do the mission to keep him from getting mad. Uh, and, and morale has dropped. You know, my morale was full when I quit playing last night because I, I played for a while to build up after one of my characters died. And so it was full, and I quit the game thinking, okay, I'll come back, and now I'm caught up. I have the luxury to try to expand for a while. But I went back in today, and morale was at half. My resources were gone. I, I don't know why they would do that. That just seems such... <laughs> There, there's so many smart design choices in this game that that seems just boneheaded to me. Why? why? So I, I feel, you know what? I got to run because I'm worried now about my survivors. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here talking to you. I don't know what those jokers are doing in the game. Uh, it's it's a weird sense of pressure that I just feel is unnecessary. Uh, and maybe if enough of us complain, oh, man, the, the zombie apocalypse doesn't work on your timetable. You know. You can't just- <laughs> You can't just say, hang on, zombie apocalypse, I'm going to go do a podcast now. <laughs> uh, I love, Jamie, that you, you've you got a family, right? You are going to have to, there are times where you're not going to be able to play State of Decay because of family stuff. And Honestly, uh, telling me about this now, and I'm like, I can't, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to play this game at all. Like, uh, Right, right. Uh, it's such a weird decision, and I, I don't... I, I, uh, I, get to, I, get to, I get to play console games. <laughs> Find time to play console games at three, four hours a week, maybe. Like, what's going to happen? Next oh yeah, yeah, oh, your guys are screwed. Your guys They're are totally all, screwed. Yes. Uh, to be fair, though, I will notice that I will say that the the flip side of that happens in that my guys have gone on missions and gone out and brought me back some supplies. They didn't bring back construction material, which is what I needed, but someone did bring back extra food. I had someone who I think found ammo. Uh, one of the guys. So they're still doing some of the their missions and whatnot, and I benefit from that. So maybe it's a matter of you just have to play and reach a point where your community is self-sustaining, like where you have enough people uh, before. <laughs> you have to do that before you can walk away from the game. You basically have to sit there for 10 hours, create a self-sustaining community, and then it will let you take a, take some time off. Maybe that's how it works. Uh, gotcha. Like, um, yeah, I played a... a um, by Spry Fox, there was a game called uh, um, Leap Day, and that's all like this. You construct a sort of factory of guys harvesting and doing stuff, and you get mm-hmm. into a profitable situation, and then you walk away and let it just crank along for a day, and then you come back the next day. And oh, like in real time. I see, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah it's all all happening on the servers or something i don't know but uh. well that that reminds me of there's some mmos that have played with the idea of you know you have a player either a castle or a fort or a player made city and while you're logged off it can be raided by other players um so there's this sense that real world time is threaded in with your virtual time uh and that you know clans will have to meet at a certain time to do a raid and i i kind of respect the stakes that are introduced in that but it just seems so impractical to me, to, to especially for a single-player game like, like State of Decay. There's no reason that it needs to run on any time other than the time I'm actually sitting in the game. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I still do love it. It's, it's a, there, there's nothing else like it, I, I will say. So it's got that going for it. Yeah. So. Uh, all right, so there we go. A little uh, Red Orchestra Rising Storm, Save the Date, which we know deliciously little about uh, definitely intrigued about that um, and now I have to run and take care of my guys in state of decay before they get themselves in trouble so 
<laughs> Jamie, thank you for hanging out with us today. Congratulations on your, your Kickstarter project meeting its goal. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it great, and, yeah, it's great to great great to meet you guys and hang out and talk about games. So this is awesome. Well, thanks for having thanks for joining us and uh, everyone. Uh, next week, uh, if you get a chance, spend a little time with Marvel Heroes because we'll be bringing you a special treat regarding that game uh, next week. It's free to play. Hop in, give it a look. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been here with uh, Jamie Fristrom and Nick Diamond, and we will see everyone here next week. Jamie, can you guess why this music is playing? No. I mean, I can make a guess. Sort of a figure. Um, Go ahead, guess. Take a guess. Um, it's, uh, it commemorates the Mexican Revolution. <laughs> I didn't say I think uh, it might. It, it might very well, but that's not why I picked it. Uh, this is what came up when I Googled uh, Swing. Oh, that's just what I think. That's what I think of a. That's what an energy hooker would do. Sure. <laughs> more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't call them swingers either because that has other con- connotations. Yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs>